happy Father's Day, and our kids are so shy. We appreciate their, just their talents. I want to meet the family that has the toe like the thumb. Let me just see who you're in. How many know kids? I like to ask kids questions, and my favorite one up there is when my dad likes to play dead. No, he's sleeping. He, he's, I've done that one before. Hey, let's all pretend we're dying. And, well, probably shouldn't say that as a pastor. We want to welcome you, and of course, welcome our campuses. We want to welcome those that are watching online from one of our campuses, one of our churches, and then, of course, one of our 13 locations in 13 correctional facilities. We know weekends like this can be more difficult but we just want you to know that God's got a great hand and a great blessing for you today. Celebration Church, let's welcome everybody that's joining online. God bless you guys. And pray for us this week. Pray for our dream team, and our team will be leading 365 registered campers this weekend, or this week actually, kids camp. Registration's closed, and we're, we're maxed out. But uh, we are going to have a great time. Looking forward to hanging out uh, with the kids. A lot of great things that are happening here at Celebration Church. I know last week you were blessed hearing from Pastor Reese. I was down at our Austin campus. There's about 500 people that attend down there. And I'm telling you, what's happening at our Central Austin campus is just amazing. A lot of great things happening. A lot of cool young people. It's almost like we have two different congregations. You got your 9 o'clock. It's your older group, like me. And, uh, and then, uh, well, actually from 30 up, and then at, nine, at 11 o'clock, we have all of these 20-something that are from 18 to 29-year-olds uh, at 11 o'clock. They slept off their hungover, hangovers, and then they come to church. <laughs> they're not. No, they're really praying. They're seeking God and uh, high achievers, but um, really proud of what's happening and uh, a lot of great things that are happening here at Celebration Church. We have to stay ahead of the game. There's a lot of movement. Do you know that Georgetown this week, Census Bureau, fastest growing city in America for 50,000 and above, this is the fastest growing church, or (laughs) fastest growing city in America, Georgetown, Texas. The fastest growing city in America under 50,000 is Gerald, Texas. This is from the Census Bureau. You know, you always read these things. We're the fastest growing. No, we're the fastest growing. And uh, so the, the numbers are just telling us, and also Liberty Hill and Leander, what's happening in this whole sector. We have been placed for such a time as this, Celebration Church. Maybe you're new to Celebration, and maybe this is all new to you, and you don't know anything about our church or about who we are, but 22 years ago, our prayer, Lori and I, when we moved here, we didn't know a single person, but our prayer was this, put us in a city that is going to change the world. That was our prayer. And of course, we moved here, and six months after we moved in 2000, the dot-com, dot-bomb exploded. 40,000 people lost their job. I'm like, Lord, well, I didn't mean it in that direction. And, uh, and then now to see what's happening in 2022, we are in a different kind of bubble here uh, in this world, and uh, we as a church must stay proactive and stay moving. We easily could say, we've got a great church, we've built a great church up on top of this hill, we are a city on a hill. Literally, we are on a hill, that's the highest hill in the southeastern corner of the United States, we literally are like a city or a small town, we say celebration is not a big church, it's a small town, and we're about 16,000, 17,000, but think about it as a small town. How many come from a small town? Let me see your hand. So the reality is, everybody knew your business in a small town, so if you want a small town church, we're the one, we're going to know your business, and... uh, (laughs) But we're not a big church. We're not a big church. We're just a city. That's what God calls his church, his kingdom to be, a city on a hill. When you walk out of this concourse or through what we call the concourse or the foyer, we built this building to face the city of Austin. We built this building for that reason so that when you walk out until, of course, our new complex is being built in front of us, other than that, our cross is facing Austin, our building is facing Austin, because we know that we are in this city. We're in the city of Austin to bring change, and a city on a hill is not to be covered up. It's not to be, it's not to be um, uh, killed, if you will. It's not to be hidden. And I want to go there today as it relates to today's Father's Day message. I'm, I'm talking to fathers, but I'm also talking to all of us as leaders. I want to talk a little bit about leadership today and fathership because we know fathers are leaders. We know that 
Everyone is a father that is a leader, but, but the truth is you are all in leadership. All of us are called, if you're called to this church, if you are called to be a part of this body as a city on a hill, literally this 110 acres prepared by God for us in 1942, I don't have time to go into the story, and then the other campuses and the other things that are beginning to emerge, things that we'll announce in the future about where we're going and where we need to continue to move. The reality is, is that it is not a church of followers. Yes, we follow Christ, but we have to be a church of leaders. Jesus said, follow me and I will what? Make you a fisherman of men. Literally what he's saying is, as you follow me, I'm going to make you a leader. I'm going to lead you. You're going to follow me as I, as I lead you and you follow me. I'm going to lead you. That followship is going to lead you into leadership. It doesn't just lead us into nothing. It leads us, Christ leads us into maturity. And in that maturity, we begin to understand that we're called to be leaders. And fathers, I want to talk to you today as well, because the truth is you are to be the leader of your home. And all the fathers said, amen. Just leave me alone. Some of the fathers said, come on, turn to your father if he's with you right now and say, you're the goat. Come on, tell him right now, you're the goat. Turn to the other guy and go, no, don't do that. Harvard Business Review, I pulled this off. In fact, I printed it. It was in this week's review, in this week's article. Stressed, sad, and anxious. It's a snapshot of our global, not just our workforce, but our global world. Think about those three words, stressed, sad, and anxious. I think that is so accurate as to where we are as a world. People are stressed. You pull up to the gas tank or to the gas pump, I mean, it's a little stress. You pull up to work, or you pull up to your whatever that might be. There's, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of just, uh, a lot of depression. I think a lot of that is because of isolation. I think that a lot of that has to do with we are alone like never before. We're, we're behind, whether it's a mask or behind a, a screen. And the truth is we begin to just isolate, and in that isolation, we know God said it's not good for man to what? To be alone. There's a lot of sadness, a lot of death, a lot of fear, which is that last point, anxiety. And of course, that's a great message, Pastor Joe. Thank you for bringing me to Celebration Church. I feel so good about what you're saying right now. But what do we do? Where do we go from here? And one of my mentors, he's been, he regularly attends our church. He's, be, he's become famous for this line, everything rises and falls on leadership, John Maxwell. But I say it like this. I got one better than John. <laughs> everything lives and dies. Scripturally, everything lives and dies on leadership. Because there is nothing more vital, there's nothing more necessary, important, impactful than not just leadership. Let, let me say it like this, because in fathers, hear me, the spirit of leadership is vital, important, and necessary. There's a lot of people with the title of leader, but they don't have the right spirit of a leader. There's a lot of people that have that title at work, and you know them, you know who they are. I'm the guy, I'm this, I'm that. Don't you know who I am? Yeah, but their spirit's wrong. Their title may be right, their title may be accurate, but they're off in their attitude. They're off in their mindset. And when Jesus comes to the planet, he is, of course, the leader. We, we could go on and on about who he is. We could go from, from the Old to the New Testament that Christ is God. He was the creator. He was there. Everything was created for him and by him. But when Christ comes to the planet, he comes to bring not just leadership, and of course, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes and whoever follows him will not perish but have everlasting life. But Jesus also comes to model, but he also comes to demonstrate the spirit of a leader. Fathers, I want to talk to you because it's important for you to not just know that you are the leader, but the right spirit, the spirit behind your leadership, the spirit behind being a father. Or in all of us as leaders, male and female, whether you're at home or out of the home, the, the truth is, whether you work in the home or you work in the office, in some capacity, we're all leaders. And celebration, we've never, we've never built this church on just 
making a church of, of followers when Jesus said, I want you to be leaders. So we have to be a church that constantly talks about leadership, but also understands the spirit of what a real and true leader looks like. When the world, the Bible offers us, like from the very beginning, this, this fruit. Remember when Eve, she saw that the fruit was good to what? Good to look at. So she saw the fruit. Adam, Eve, we can go through that story of the fruit. But they saw the fruit and it looked good. But what was bad about it was the spirit behind the fruit. See, things can look really good, but what's the spirit behind it? What's the spirit? See, if we don't have spiritual discernment, you, you, can fall, you will fall for people that look good. Come on, we're my people in college that thought that was the boy you were going to marry. Oh, he's so fine. You swiping left and swiping right. And you've been looking and you, you know, whatever. And it's like, God, he looks so good. And then you meet his spirit. I mean, he may have abs. But those abs may be like those blueberries when you bring them home. It's full of worms. You know what I'm saying? How many have ever bought a bunch of nice looking fruit and you got home and this is all rotten? And that's what we've got to make sure is that the church doesn't ever just lead to a look. It leads to the right spirit. That's why we've got to have the right spirit. That's why it's so important. And even in the world that we're living in today, I think a lot of people have a problem with the church because the church has been its own problem. Because we have sold the world on looks rather than on the right spirit. And if we're not careful, we put these great communicators and great speakers and very gifted, very personality much driven in that way. And then yet at the same time, they're just not good people. They're not going to last. It can't, it can't continue. And that's why we've got to have the right spirit. And leadership, of course, is everything. I really do believe that never before are we in need of great fathers who are great leaders and people who are not fathers to also be great leaders because every situation, every breaking point, every, every transition, every season that arises in life, and we are at one of those seasons as a country, we're at one of those seasons where we're literally at a breaking point. How many would agree with me? There's a, we all sense it. We all feel it. Everybody's talking about it. It's not just political. And so in life, as we are facing this as a country, when these things arise in life, it's either going to get an answer, it's either going to have an answer, a solution, or it's going to go to disaster. And the difference is in the spirit of leadership. The solution is either going to be, we're going to get a resolution, there's going to be fact, there's going to be truth, there's going to be reality, or is this going to be another illusion? I'm going to tell you why people are upset. They're tired of the illusion of leadership. They're tired of the illusion of truth. They're tired of the illusion of philosophy. It's just all, it's just all words. It's all rhetoric. And I think a lot of people that have a problem with the church, oftentimes they're, they're justified because, because the church themselves have just offered an illusion. It's just words. Jesus did not come down to say something. He came down to do something. See, that's Christ. Christ came to do. So when he said, I have manifested, Father, your name, John 17, I came. Yes, we know he came to die. We know he came to offer his life, his holy life, his perfect life, as that which would ransom or pay the ransom for us. Because God, holy God, had to be satisfied with a holy sacrifice. A holy sacrifice, not just a sacrifice. A holy sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice was the only way you and I could be saved. And God, in his nature, being holy and being perfect, died to satisfy this holy God. Understand something. God in Christ had more to do with God than you and me. It wasn't just about you and me. It was about why he came and he knew why he came. And that is to satisfy holy God. And that's when he said, I have come also to deliver your name. And that name, when Jesus said, I've given them your name. What was the name? It's not Jesus. 
The name was Father. Because in the Old Testament, we know primarily, they didn't know God. There were glimpses, there were very small points of light, if you will, of Father, but that's not how they knew God in the Old Testament. They couldn't know him because he was unveiled. Christ comes veiled. In other words, had they and when they saw God in the Old Testament, if you wanted to put it into that category, they saw him and when they saw him, it was all glory and it was all death. Read the book of Hebrews. They didn't want to talk to him. In fact, everybody that was around God in his nature, in his unveiled nature, everyone begged to have God please don't talk to us anymore. Moses, you go talk to him. Because it brought death. And that's what the holiness of God always brings. Except because of Christ. He offered for us his life. He paid for it. And guess what? Now in Christ we have grace. We have that holiness satisfied. How many are thankful that Christ satisfied the holiness of God? It's not just a martyr. A martyr would have meant anyone can die. A martyr means anyone can give their life. How many know Christ was not just anyone? That's why it's very specific, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave who? His what? Only. There was only one perfect, only one holy, only one righteous. There's only one that has been there from the very beginning. There's only one that was not created, Jesus. It's not just a man. It wasn't just a figure. It wasn't just a religious leader. It wasn't just a priest. It wasn't just a rabbi. It wasn't just a master. It wasn't just a a wisdom giver. He was God in flesh. And in that person, he satisfied the grace of God, or by his satisfaction, by his sacrifice, satisfied everything that needed to be satisfied. And all that to be said is that we... We're living in a world now that is doing whatever it can to, to destroy, to destroy God, but to also destroy what even I started off with, to take away your peace, to take away your joy, to, to take away your fear. Frankly, those are, the, those are the ingredients for suicide. That's the ingredients for depression. That's the ingredients for any and all kind of problems. Stress, sadness, anxiety. And the Bible tells us, as we're getting into this now, as it relates to not just fatherhood, but, but leadership, this is nothing new. In the book of Colossians, I want to give you a couple of things, and then I want to kind of just summer deep dive into this understanding of leadership. Paul the Apostle said, writing to the church in Colossae. This was a church that Paul wrote somewhere around 62 A.D., after the death of Christ. So we're about 62 A.D. Paul is the pastor. Paul, if you will, the apostle, has started this church in this region, in this city, and he has to now write to them, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So what was happening is that there were leaders, there were leaders who were preaching philosophy and what he would call empty deception according to what? The traditions of man or according to man, according to the world. There were these religious leaders, they were these teachers, they were these preachers who were just literally living living for the world. They were living out of the world. They had, they had no connection to God, yet they would call themselves godly and he says but Christ is nowhere near that and it was all based on like the original issue in the garden of Eden and that is boy it looks good and it sounds good and it might even taste good for a while but in the end it's death see anything and everything that doesn't have Christ at the center eventually is death And these men were offering elementary principles, elementary teachings, elementary, elementary, which means immature. Elementary principles means they were offering, according to the world, doctrines and teachings and philosophies according according to what the world wants as it relates to all sorts of issues of life, rather than the Word of God. 
So they were battling what we're battling with. What is, what's a male? What's a female? What's a family? What's a man? What's a woman? What's a home? And there will always be this battle. It's a leadership battle. And Paul says, see to it that you don't fall or be taken captive, literally hijacked or carjacked through the philosophies and through these empty deceptions of people rather than according to the word of Christ. He says, no one, look at verse 18, let no one defraud you of your prize. Which is what? Your relationship to Christ. And this prize, this prize of Christ, of eternal life in Christ, let no one come and steal. Have you ever been defrauded? Have you ever had someone rob you? Have you ever been a victim of a scam or a scheme? Have you ever, have you ever had a friend that you thought was a friend asking for money and you sent, you Venmoed some money to them, only to discover that's not who you thought they were and you got defrauded or you invested what he's saying is let no one defraud you of, of Christ by delighting in self-abasement. In other words, they come preaching these the, the sad, soft stories. In other words, they work in your world through a false spirit. And that false spirit always knows that can get in through your soul. How do you get into one's soul? You tell them a sad story. You tell, them, you tell them something that's going to pull their what? Their heart straight. <laughs> In the eyes of an angel. <laughs> if you haven't seen that dog commercial, you know. I didn't know angels and dogs were the same. You got people preaching literally like dogs and animals and pets are eternal, eternal souls. Some of you are like, they're not. <laughs> They better be. I don't want to go to heaven if my dog's not in heaven. Well, you might not have that problem, honestly, but <laughs> he says, and the worship of angels. In other words, they get into religious talk and subjects, taking their stand on visions that they saw or they think they had, but it's all inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. In other words, they have created this vision and they've created these stories, and it's all out of their own, their own spirit. It's all wrong. It's all off. It's all, it's all distorted. But we, like Adam, like Eve, in the original account of the sin of the man, we still go there. Yeah, but it looks good. It, it really, I no, this is really good. And when she saw, when they thought that this really looked like it was life, Satan was in that. It doesn't say apple. I think it was a banana. Personally, I think it was a banana. I've, I've said it all the time. It, doesn't, it just says fruit. A lot of theologians say date. It was actually a date, potentially like a date tree. Who knows? But I think the banana really fits what sin does to all of us. And then he says, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. In other words, then they begin to put you into religious, religious context. They begin to put you into religious observances and traditions. And then they begin to say, now if you're going to be this kind of God follower, this is what you must do on this day. This is what you must eat on this day. This is what you're supposed to pray on this day. This is what you're supposed to read on this day. Next thing you know, they put you in a tradition and they put you into this world. And it then begins, as he says, it tells you how to treat your body or how to live your life. And then it says, but it has no value against fleshly indulgence. It can't still stop you from being a man or a woman that wants what is inside of you, and that is the fleshly desires. The Bible talks about immorality and greed and the fruits of the flesh. Nothing can stop that except the presence of God. In fact, the more religious you become, the more religious, and I use that term in a negative, the, the more that you say, I'm going to be religious and I'm going to be good and I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to be holy and I'm going to be righteous and I'm not going to be bad and I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to look on a woman or on a man. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm going to be kind. Let me just tell you something. By the end of those statements, you're going to be so mad. 
Because you're just highlighting, your, your flesh is now coming alive. Your flesh is just growing. I always like to use the illustration, if I were to say, do not, do not, do, do not look at this iPad. Don't think about it. Don't draw your attention to it. It's not there. I curse it. It will not be a part of this service in the name of Jesus anymore. What are you thinking about right now? It's <laughs> all you're thinking about. And so when you say, I will not be bad, you're going to be bad. I will not be fleshly or I will not be sexual. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to wait for my man. I'm going to wait for my woman in holy matrimony. Guess what? All of a sudden now, every TikToker follows you and you begin to... <laughs> How many have, every time you say, I'm going to go on a diet, what do you see as soon as you say it? Every Burger King commercial pops on the television set. I'm going to fast, I'm going to, I'm going to give my life to God. Next thing you know, every friend that you haven't heard from since the third grade is calling you. And so what is the point? The point is that it's not by the flesh, it's by the spirit. And so Paul is writing to the church with a lot of challenges. There's a lot of, well, let me just tell you like this. They were in an emergency. They were at a breaking point in, Philipp, uh, in Colossians. They were under pressure. And they were feeling this pressure, and this pressure was coming from people, from poor leadership. And that's why Paul was having to tell them, guys, don't fall for these that are coming along trying to take you captive. Don't be defrauded by these fraudulent preachers and leaders and people that are telling you what to believe. And then, it's interesting, in the middle of all this, in, Phil in Colossians, he says husbands, and then he starts talking about wives, and he talks about children. But here's where I want to go. In Colossians 3.21, he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. It's interesting. It's like Paul goes from really deep teaching on, on walking with Christ and, and not being deceived to now he, he goes home. He goes to the house and he, he says, now fathers, I want to talk to you about something. Because, and here's how I interpret this. With all the heat and with all the trials and with all the situations, with all the problems in the world today, fathers, here, here's... Here's what I think Paul is saying. Your kids have enough to be angry about. Don't bring it home. Because we're all dealing with a lot of issues. We're all in emergency. We're all having to face battles and trials. And, and even our own faith might be being rocked right now. And then he goes, now fathers, don't make it worse. Verse 21, let's look at it again. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. You know what that word there means? Exasperate your children. It's not just anger. It's not just a flare-up. It's, it's, it's a long condition of disgruntledness. It's, it's, it's a deeper, longer condition. But the Greek word literally means don't be, when you bring it all out and you go deeper in the Greek, and it means this, don't be a pebble in the foot or in the shoe of your children. You ever had a pebble in your, in your shoe? Have you ever gone home and went, I got to go home, and my father's a pebble? <laughs> this is uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable. He's, he's like a blister. You, do you have a pair of shoes that you love, but they cause blisters? Where are my women at? <laughs> I've had shoes. I'm telling you, I have shoes right now. I like the way they look. They're awesome, but they cause blisters. And I'm like, I want to wear them, but I'm going to be bleeding at the end of the day. And so it is with a lot of families. I love my dad. Oh, but he is a blister. He hurts me. It hurts to be around him. And Paul is writing to the home because he said, if we are not careful, we've got this world that is doing whatever it can to rob us of our true salvation and our true relationship to God. And the last place they need to have another battle is at home. 
The home should not be a battlefront. Can I get a witness, somebody? The home should not be where we're going to get a blister, where we're going to get angry, where we're going to get mad. Yet, I understand the home and those that we live with, we see the most, we know them the most. We've seen them naked, spiritually, physically. We know everything about them. And I know what can happen in that condition or in that place when the walls come down. But the reality is what Paul is saying to all of us is he goes, we got to make sure, though, that we as fathers, fathers, and of course, he deals with he deals with us as husbands, and then he goes to the wives, and then he goes to the children. But on this Father's Day, I think what you've got to understand is what is the spirit of a father? What's the true spirit of a father? It's not just the title. It's not just, it's not just the, the name. I'm the father. Sit down and shut up. That's what Paul was dealing with in the mindset of this time that they all had this authoritative leadership style. You do what I say or else. How many had a dad like that? Let me see your hand. Like, yeah, my dad actually lived in the book of Colossians. I didn't know. (laughs) My father was biblical. But this truth, what he's saying is this truth must come home. It must go where we really do become who we are. We become who we are by where we go in our homes. We're made at home. Can I hear an amen? This is why the enemy hates our homes. This is why Satan's greatest attack will always be in the home. Always will be after the marriage. Will always be after the understanding of the home between man and woman and women and men and as it relates to all the roles and all of the various things that we need to make sure that we're all being clearly defined by scripture and not by the world because the world just will drive God right out of it with wrong definitions so he says do not provoke don't provoke don't 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 provoke to anger don't don't make them angry or madder the, the, the devil's doing enough of that now, let's, let's finish the thought. Fathers, do not provoke. Don't make them mad. Don't, don't. So that, watch this, so that they will not what? So that they will not lose heart. Isn't it interesting that he is connecting the father and the heart? In other words, nothing makes us more encouraged or discouraged than a relationship or a bad relationship to a father. Nothing will make you more healthier than a relationship to a father. Nothing will make you sicker than a relationship to a father. That's why Jesus said, I came to bring the father. That's why I've come to show you, demonstrate for you the father. I didn't just come preaching father. I came to show the father, the spirit of the father. Well, Pastor Joe, my father was exactly what you're talking about. I am, frankly, probably who I am, and I don't mean that in a positive way, based on what I saw in my home, based on what I saw in my father. Well, here's the good news. Jesus overrides all that. That's why the Bible says he comes in and he gives us a new heart. He takes out that heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. How many are thankful that we, the old, is now gone? Behold, we are new. No matter what our fathers have done, no matter where we come from, we have a heavenly father that overrides. I'm born again. Do you understand? That's what that means. I'm born again. That means I'm born into a new family. I'm born into a new father. I'm born into a new home. Yet we also know we've got to, we've got to untangle, we've got to unwind some things. And for just the next few moments, maybe the best story in the Bible, or for this weekend, it's my best story in the Bible, is from the story of David. Turn there with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The Bible talks about in 2 Samuel, David David has become, and David now, look at verse 15 of chapter 8 of 2 Samuel. David is now reigning over Israel. We know who David is. David was, of course, the giant killer, the bear killer, the lion killer. He is now the king of Israel. He's replaced Saul. He was prophesied that he would be the, the man of God, 
the man after God's own heart. We know that Jesus himself is on the throne of David. We know when he talks about this, he goes, I am the son of David. We could go through all of that, but now David is reigning over all of Israel. And David is ministering. Look what it says, verse 15. He's, he's administering justice and righteousness. He is sitting, but he is ruling. He's making right decisions. Gas prices are coming down. Come on, somebody. People are going back to work. <laughs> okay, that's all. So basically what it means is everything's good. And then David, in the middle of this, he says, is there anyone that I can be nice to from the house of Saul for the sake of Jonathan? Go backwards a little bit. David, of course, served in the house of Saul. Saul was the king. Of course, Saul tried to kill David. Saul had a son named Jonathan. They became best friends. Literally, they were just inseparable. Hand in glove. Never has there been this kind of depth of relationship when it describes David and Jonathan. And David said to Jonathan, I'm going to be good to you. No matter how many days later, how far down the line, I'm going to be good to you. You be good to me. David is now sitting in his oval office and he's reigning. And then all of a sudden, like a father, he says, who can I show mercy to? Now go back to Psalm 103. Watch this. Psalm 103 says, like a father who pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. Or the New Living Translation says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, yet they do fear him. They know who he is. Or as a father, New American Standard says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord is like a father in that he pities or he has compassion. That word there means he's soft-hearted. One of the things I want to be more and more, and the more that I read Scripture, and I'm 58 years old, I'll be in ministry for 35 years, and then pastoring this church for 22 and 10 years, 11 years prior to that. The longer I live, the more I want to be like Christ, which means to be more tender-hearted. I want to be tough. I mean, I do believe that we, we need to be raising sons and, and daughters that have a, that have a toughness and, or they have a, a resiliency about them. And maybe that's a better word, resiliency. We live in a tough world. But, but when they talk about Jesus in the Gospels and in, throughout the Scriptures, Jesus Yes, he was absolutely tough, but let me tell you something. He was tender. You're saved not because Jesus was tough. You're saved because he was tender. Because if he was tough, you'd have gone to hell. Oh, well, Pastor Joe, then he, he wouldn't have died. He had to be tough to die and to stay on the cross. I, I, listen, it was because of his love that he went to that cross. It was because of his mercy, it was his pity, it was his compassion. It was his grace. And as a father has compassion or tenderness, it's soft to his children's cry. Look at David, this tough king, and now all of a sudden he is sitting on this throne and he's throwing out laws and he's making commands and he's running Israel, he's running the world, and then he goes... I need to be more like God. Who can I be kind to who has been kind to me? He says, is there anyone in the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was, I call him Z-Man, and he came to David, Ziba, and Zubida. And the Bible says, in Zibidi, and the king said, are you Ziba? Are you Z-Man? <laughs> Theologians will tell you he actually had a big tattoo on his forehead. No, it didn't. But are you Zeba? Yeah, I'm the only Zeba out here. Who names her kids Zeba? He said, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness to? I just want you to get this. This is a king. This is a leader. This is a, a warrior, David. 
He's bad to the bone, guys. And all he's thinking about is, in all of his strength, how can I be nice? How can I be tender? How can I be kind? Can I just tell you, this is so God. God sits on his throne and has need of no one. He has need not of you or of me, but God said, how can I be kind to people according to my son Jesus? Do you get this? He is kind to you, not because you're good. He's kind because you have been good to his son Jesus. You are saved because of what his son did for you, but your relationship to the Father is because you have identified what his son has done for you. He was compassionate. When we were sinners, he died for you. When he came to this world, though you didn't want him and though you had no need for him, and the Bible says we were enemies of God, he died while we were enemies. And when we understand that, God, I could have died. I should have died. I was God guilty, but you sent your son Jesus to die on that cross, and I identify my life with his action and with his grace and with his move to that cross and was raised from the dead. God, I, I don't understand everything about you, but I know one thing. That man, Jesus, was good, and I want that goodness, and I want his life in my life, and if he's the way, I accept him. This, this is all right here. How many are thankful for a father who sits on his throne, but he thinks about you? But he didn't have to. For Jonathan's sake, for Christ's sake. And so he says, well, he says, um, Z-Man said, well, there's a, there's a son of Jonathan. He's crippled. He's crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Z-Man said, he's in the house of Macher, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent him and, and said, go bring him. So I call him, not Mephhead, but Mephibosheth. Mephhead. <laughs> Mephibosheth is his name. I don't know what was going on with the parents of these days, naming these kids. But Mephibosheth. See, somebody in this church did not start listening to me until I said Mephhead. Somebody like, I love this church. I, I. But I'm going to call him Mephhead. Meth man. And, and the Bible says, so his name is Meth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. And he came to David and he fell on his face. He feared David because he knew who David was. And he knew what his family did to David. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, I am your servant. And he said, don't fear, I will show kindness to you for the sake of your father. Jo because of your father, Jonathan, I'm going to be good to you. And I'm going to restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. And you shall eat at my table regularly. See, I'm going to give you communion with me like we had today. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? I'm a nobody. And the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all of his house I have given to your master's grandson. Verse 13, so Mephib lived in Jerusalem. And he ate at the King Burger King's table regularly. And he was lame in both feet. Guys, what you see here is a beautiful picture of the spirit of what I call not just fathership, but leadership. Because David could have easily manifested a different spirit on this man. Mephibosheth. Lodabar means no communication. So Jonathan, Jonathan died, Jonathan dies, sad story, when this boy Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is five years old. He has a maid, he has people that are taking care of him, the maid's running through the house one day, she falls on the, the baby, on the five-year-old that she's carrying, breaks his feet, literally cripples his feet. And that's probably why you shouldn't be running with a five-year-old in your hand. He's crippled. He's in Lodabar, which means now he's out of the picture. He's out of sight. He's out of communication. David has no clue about where he is and who he is. That's why you don't know anything about him until David all of a sudden has this thought. This, this thought 
that you could say was from God, but I think it comes from the right spirit. People that think right, people that have the right spirit are thinking about some things. They're not thinking about destruction. They're thinking about salvation. They're thinking about how can I make a difference in the lives of people? David could have easily said, I'm done helping people. Do you know what it cost me to get where I am? You know, celebration, we can say we're done growing. We're big enough. We've got enough. And how many know that's not how the spirit of leaders think? That's not how the spirit of of fathers think. That's not how the spirit of right-thinking people think. They don't think selfishly. They don't think about themselves. You know, that's probably one of the leading reasons why children are angry at their fathers is that the father is selfish. He's about himself. He's about his own world. He's about his own mind. He's about his own television program. And of course, I can go through a bunch of other reasons why children get angry at their fathers. A whole lot of reasons. But what I want you to see is where we just want to land today on what true fathers and leaders look like and do. Number one, true fathers and true leaders are secure. Secure. The reason why you can't show tenderness, the reason why you can't maybe show kindness, the reason why you and I have a trouble showing like David was showing to Meph is that we in our own selves have nothing to give because we haven't received it ourselves. I got guys in our church that I say, hey, man, I love you. Hey, I love you, man. But that's not normally what they say. It's, uh, thanks. What? Okay. And what happens to a lot of people is that that ability, see, Lodabar means no communication. They can't communicate back love because they haven't been communicated love. They haven't received this love. This is why Jonathan's son, Mephed, was blown away that he was being brought into the presence of David as a crippled boy, broken boy. He goes, you're going to love me? And David said, can I tell you how I was loved? Not by his earthly father, but by his heavenly father. See, David wasn't loved either. But David had such a love for God, and God displayed such a love for David. David was healed. Not because of his natural father, but because of his spiritual father. And he goes, boy, have I experienced the love of God, and I can give the love of God. And when you get secure in the love of God, can I tell you, you can say to somebody, hey, I love you on the phone. Or they can say to you, I love you, and you're like, you're not doing that. Or when you go to hug somebody, I see guys, hey man, I love you. Come here, give me a hug. And they got to do the bro thing. <laughs> like on the back. I like to look at pictures of people when they're hugging people and their hand, if the hand is like this. Like God forbid the fingers would show any kind of attachment. When's the last time, fathers, you have been secure enough to say to your sons and your daughters, I love you and I'm proud of you? Or to your wife? Or to your husband? Say, this is for everybody. And really, your ability to communicate or not communicate is really dependent on your confidence in Christ. This is why when people say, Pastor Joe, I just don't know how to worship. When I see people say, Pastor Joe, I struggle with work. I just don't get this church thing that people lift their hands. Listen, you probably don't lift your hands at home. You probably don't bend your knee at home. You probably don't express anything at home spiritually, do you? See, it's a manifest. What you do in private is what you do in public. And that's the truth. That's just a, that's a reality. We all want to play golf like Tiger Woods. But let me tell you, Tiger hit 10,000 balls a day at home when no one was looking. He's not playing today. John Rahm may be doing it. I'd like to hurry up and get home, so I'm going to hurry up and finish. Number two, true fathers and true leaders, they don't forget their why. True fathers and true leaders, they don't forget their why. Why? Why am I on this throne? Why have I been saved? Not just for myself, but to bring other people to God, to show kindness to people, merciful to people. Number three, true fathers and leaders are peacemakers. 
He was the one that made the first move. You know who peacemakers are? They make the first move. Let me ask you a question. Who have you not talked to in your family, in your circle of friendship, and it's been a while, and you're waiting on them to call you? You're like, huh? Huh? I'm not going to call. No, no. When's the last time you talked to mom? I don't know. She needs to call me. Now, I'm not saying. In fact, I always would say, I want to be the last one that makes the last call. I'm always going to be the, I want to be the peacemaker. But let me ask you a question. If you know that there's a rift, if you know there's a division, if there's a gulf, if there's something that's separating you from somebody that you know is supposed to be in your world, and you're not connected, let me ask you, because you're in Lodabar, it's called no communication, are you reaching out and being a peacemaker? Make the peace. Be the one that walks across the room. Be the one that makes that phone call. Some of you, you, you know who I'm talking about. You won't even like their picture. It's like, you, I'm not even going to like that either. Because no. they're going to know I'm following them. <laughs> and that's a whole other generation of conversation. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you see that? Peacemakers. If there's tension in the home, break the tension. If there's an unhealthy quietness in the home, break the unhealthy quietness. I say unhealthy. Sometimes quiet's good. How many know? But then there's also quiet that you know this is, ah, this is not good. We're fighting. We're just fighting. We are fighting, fighting, fighting. In fact, I'm looking at some of you right now. He's like, hey. We're fighting. I know. I can tell. Look at it right now and just go, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that because she'll gouge my eye out. True fathers and leaders are kind and merciful. Kind. Merciful. Watch this. Judgment triumphs. Watch this. For judgment will be mercy less to one who has shown no mercy. My favorite, one of my favorite lines in all the scripture. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs. Mercy wins. Mercy triumphs. Listen, you don't want judgment. You want mercy. You know, when we get to heaven, you know what we're going to say. Grace. <laughs> Grace. You're not going to say, give me judgment. Judge me! Come on! It's going to look like a Scarface. You don't want it. Your face will be scarred, I promise you. You need pity. You need mercy. You need grace. That's why the Bible says when you have received grace, you give grace. Colossians says, again, back to Colossians. So those that have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion. Put it on. Put it on. Don't wait for it to come. You put it on. Just like getting dressed in the morning. You didn't say, Lord, dress me. No, the Lord says, dress yourself. Put it on. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also. True fathers and leaders are generous. David said, I want this to be a one-time meal. The Bible says that he would regularly come to the, to the king, regularly come to the king's table. Regularly he would feed him. In other words, there's a spirit of generosity. Generosity is not always demonstrated in money. Some things money doesn't answer. Some things words answer. Be generous with your words. Be generous with your compliments. Be generous with your voice. Be generous with your actions. Be generous with your with your face. Some people just don't know that their face is saved. Man, hey, how you doing today? You look, you look awesome. Look great, thank you. Now, I understand if you've got some issues. I'm just saying if your face works, use it. Be generous with it. Smile. Put it on. Joel Osteen, he talks a lot about that a little bit. True fathers and leaders keep their word. He remembered the promise that he made to Jonathan. True fathers and leaders, they deliver what they say. They go the extra mile to do what they spoke. True fathers and leaders leave a lasting legacy. And that's the last one I want to go to right there. True fathers and leaders leave a lasting legacy. It's interesting this story's in the Bible. It's interesting that this story is something that we're remembering. 
The Bible talks about the righteous. I love this in Psalm 112, verse 6. The righteous will be remembered. For what? For being tender. For being merciful. For being compassionate. And I think the older I get, I will say again, the older I get, I have three boys. I don't want them to remember me as a preacher, communicator, a leader, football player, very average football player at that. But I don't want them to remember me as a funny person or amazing golfer, which that's probably the leading edge. I want them to remember my dad was tender. He was compassionate and he was tender with us and he was tender with God. He was tender with mom. He was tender. He was because I think the older we get, guys, the sweeter we should get. You know the Bible says the wine gets sweeter at the end. I know too many men that are too bitter the older they get. This world will make you bitter. These politics will make you bitter. The gas prices will make you bitter. This is what Paul was bringing into the church in Colossians. He goes, guys, in the middle of all of this, I get why you can be mad and bitter. He says, don't let these people bring bitterness into your spirit. So at the end of that verse, 103, let's look at this. He says, as for a man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Watch this. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who what? Fear him. And to his righteousness, to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. In other words, your life comes and goes. But the difference between whether you will live forever is did you receive his tenderness, his grace, his compassion that was displayed for us on the cross? Interesting about Mephibosheth. The Bible says he was lame in both feet, crippled in both feet. There's probably a very ugly picture of how he looked physically. But when you're sitting at the king's table, nobody sees your flaws. How many are thankful for a God that when you come to his house and when you sit at his table, he's not there to look at your flaws. He's there to tell you, I love you. He hides and he covers the multitude of sins underneath the table of his presence. That's what the blood of Jesus does. Covers us. Hides us. Says it's going to be okay. You might be crippled. You might be broken. But you're not going to be mistreated in this house. We're going to love you right through this. And that's what blew Mephibosheth away. That's what blows, and it should blow all of us away. This is why I fear the Lord. He loves me so much. I know myself, and he still loves me. I want every father to stand to their feet right now. Every father, every father. If you've got a baby on the way, stand to your feet as well. Yeah, but I haven't told anybody. We'll stand up. We'll, just, we'll do the baby. Let this be the reveal. That would be actually pretty funny. If you're going to wait till this afternoon, do it right now in the house of God. Let me ask you a question, fathers. How many of you want to be like David, like God? A man of tenderness, a man of kindness, a man of compassion. Let me see your hand. I want to bless you. Can we just extend your hands to heaven? Maybe you've never, maybe you've never put your hands out. Pretend you're bow hunting in Colorado. And you're about to draw that bow on the largest elk that has ever been killed. So you can do it. You can do it. Just let's get that vision. But Lord, as these men, these fathers hold their hands out, I pray, fill them with the same tenderness that was in you, Jesus. Fill these men, God, with compassion. And as a father who is like the Lord, he pities his children. He's kind. He's compassionate. Lord, I pray over these men. 
And I pray that God, as we leave today, we leave more tender-hearted in a world that wants to make us tough, in a world that wants to make us bitter. Lord, make us sweet. Come on, tell them, make me sweet, Jesus. Make me sweet. Make me sweet. Make me compassionate. Make me kind. Can we all stand to our feet? Every one of us, I want to pray because we're all leaders. Say this with me, Lord Jesus. As your child who wants to be a leader in your kingdom, make me like you. I want to be tender. I want to be kind. I want to be merciful. I don't want to be in myself. I want to be about you, God. And being about you is about other people. Lord, help me. Fill me now with the Spirit of God. Thank you for your grace that covers me, that washes me, that protects me. Jesus, I thank you. I am only saved because of your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, come on, give the Lord a clap of praise in this place right now.